You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. You know, you have these moments. Um, so we're, we're singing the first song, right? And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, I hear water trickling. And I'm like, what is that? Is it raining again? You know, and, and so I'm looking around. I'm, I'm thinking, so the first thing is the baptismal. It's emptying out. It takes like four hours to fill that bad boy. I'm in trouble. What, what are we going to do? Right? You know, I'm, I'm panicking, you know, and I'm thinking, maybe it's just raining. So I, I stick my head out the thing, and here's poor Derek and Becca walking up the thing. So they probably got a, a pretty funky look for me whenever they're, they're walking up the thing. I'm looking for water. Why is, it, why is it running? Why is it trickling? Thankfully, it was just the faucet. I knew I had to turn that off or half of us would be getting up halfway through and have to go to the bathroom because it's, it's trickling and, and, and uh, provoking us to, to go to the bathroom, right? Um, so, yeah, it, it's interesting how, how your mind works and, and how you can get a little glimpse of uh, a half-truth or a partial truth and um, run with it. And you know what? That's, as we have already kind of introduced and know that we're going to be looking at the, the second part of First uh, John 3, you know, verses uh, 7 to 10 today, that we're going to be talking about how Jesus took away the works of the devil. And, and one of the works that he has is he's the father of lies. He's, you know, he's the accuser. He's consistently and always trying to move us away from God and, and God's word. So it's interesting how, you know, just that little noise of water and, and all the different things that ran through my head, like, oh, what are we going to do if there's no water? You know, um, we're, we're going to later on gloriously celebrate Miranda's baptism, and, and we need water to do that. So thankfully, it was not the plug. It was just the faucet, and we're all good. Amen? I just want to remind you before we dive in today again that we have these booklets that Who's Your One? So what we did is several weeks back when we were about 30, ways, 30 days away from Easter, we passed these books out and asked you to pick somebody to be praying for, plug their name into each prayer, and each day that you say a short prayer takes about two minutes, and um, hopefully you guys have been doing that, and hopefully that we will see the fruit of your prayers as God answers those prayers uh, come Easter or whenever God chooses to uh, move in this person's life that you have been praying for. I also wanted to remind everybody, and also especially the parents, to make sure you get one of these Easter books. There's um, a probably a little over a case still left of these. If, if you have nieces and nephews that you can pass them out, please grab a handful and do so. So this is, this is from uh, Kevin DeYoung. This is out of his bigger um, book uh, about you know, the, the story, um, the biggest story, the Bible story book is what his bigger book is called. And this is just the Easter section. So it'd be good to, to go over with your, your children. Um, it'd be good to hand out um, you know, for those loved ones that are around you that um, have uh, children that they can then share that with. So let me pray for us, and we're going to uh, dive in again to First John 3, verses 7 to 10. Father, again, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you um, for your spirit. Lord, we thank you most of all for Jesus and saving us, Lord, that he went to the cross to take the penalty that we deserve and the wrath that we deserve. And Lord, to his perfect sacrifice, brought us into your kingdom and saved us. Now we are children. And Lord, we are just so grateful for that, Lord. And Father, I just ask for your help today. Again, John is going to challenge us. John is going to make us look and ask the question, are we saved? Are we truly born again? Have 
we truly, truly been born again. And Lord, that's good, and it also can be a little discouraging. But Lord, today we want to see that Jesus came in his incarnation, the reason why we celebrate Christmas, to take away the works of the devil. And Lord, I pray that we would see that today, and that we would hold on to that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember last week, I said that John wants us to see uh, two great truths in these first ten verses. Jesus want, uh, John wants us to know that Jesus came to defeat our two greatest enemies. And the first enemy, he, he says in 3.5, you know that he hap- appeared in order to take away sin. So the first thing that Jesus did in the incarnation when he appeared the first time was he took away our sin. And then in our passage today, verses 3 through 10, in verse 8, he says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. Last week we were challenged to really take a look at how we are living our everyday lives. And we kind of summed it up in a statement by saying doing is the test of being. That doing is the test of being. That when a man or a woman says, I am a believer, then John says the evidence of that will be seen in our actions and our activity. In other words, it's, it reveals the evidence. It's not how you become saved. It's not right the, the definition of salvation, but it is the evidence that you have a changed heart. Right? We will live a life influenced by Jesus. Two appearances is what John's trying to show us. Right? He, he first showed us that, that the second coming gives us hope. And it gives us motivation to live today. And now what he's doing, he's kind of showing us, okay, the first appearance, the first coming of Jesus, it gives us the assurance that we have, that we are Christians, that we're truly his. And that assurance that, that whenever we do sin, that we have an advocate. He's already taught us that. That, when, that we will sin, that we're not sinless. So therefore that we can go to that advocate and we can go and ask for forgiveness. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. But what he's trying to press up against is press up against the person that is, is proclaiming one thing but living a different way. Right? Is proclaiming one thing and, and living a different way. What we will do is we will live a life of obedience. We will live a life allowing God to cross our will as we walk on the narrow path. Right? Jesus said there's two paths. There's a narrow path and there's a wide path. And so many times that we, we overemphasize that and we say, okay, there's, there's going to be a, you know, a few people saved and so many people going to hell, right? Well, I think what Jesus is trying to do, because that's in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he is showing us that this narrow way, it's, it's hard. It's hard, but we, we have the Word of God, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the church to help us stay on this narrow path. And by the way, what was the end goal of the narrow path? It leads us to life. And the lie, the work of the devil, he comes along and he says, no, 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 Joe, Joe, the wide path. Man, there's just so much joy, there's so much freedom here, right? Go along the wide path, you'll be good, it's, it's awesome. But that's the lie. This is the work of the devil. This narrow path, again, is a life of abiding in Christ. If the sinless Son of God appeared in history to take away sin, how is it possible to abide in Him and abide in sin at the same time? 
The answer is you can't. It's impossible. Yes, we do sin. But abiding in sin and being habitually sinful is different. And remember that it's not so much about doing works. It's so much about obeying what the Word of God says. And don't lose the context. He's trying to get after our joy. And don't lose the context where he consistently, and he's going to three weeks from now when we get back to 1 John, he's going to talk about loving others. So don't lose the context of whenever the, the doing part is loving others. It's loving God and, and loving others and obeying his word. Because he says, you know, how will you show that you love me? By obeying my word. That's the doing part. So if we're consistently disobeying him, then John is challenging us to saying, well, maybe if you're not practicing righteousness, if you're not practicing at least attempting and striving to obey him, then maybe this thing back here that you thought happened didn't happen. It's a hard truth, but, but it's good to be checked on that. It's good to see that. And it's also good to, to be reminded of that because if this is true, then we do have that assurance. We do have the assurance that we are saved and he is holding on to us and he will never let us go, ever let us go. It's the idea that I no longer love sin, but I hate sin. I no longer delight in sin, I despise sin. So in other words, that sin no longer rules me, Christ does. And see, and what we immediately do whenever we, we hear a statement like that is we'll pick out a sin and say, well, that sin doesn't control me and limit me. But what if you're just living your lives, right, in such a way that it is accepted by the culture, that the, that the culture has taught you to live, and you're not really, you know, touching up against the obedience of Christ, but you're not really doing some things like, you know, you believe you're a good person because every one of us, from the littlest of ages, especially as soon as we get into the school system, every time we turn on a movie, especially from like Disney and other places like that, is we are taught that we are good people. We're good. We're all good. And what ruins us is, is families, and what ruins us is outside influences, and what ruins us is trauma. And now we've even stepped into the idea that what ruins us is things like, you know, commitments and, and, and things like I, the things I have to do to, to be an adult, and the things I have to do, you know, just to, to survive. And then what we do is, is these things bring about unwanted feelings. And, and then what we do is we call this unwanted feelings. We, we call that mental health. So we go and we get a pill to get rid of these unwanted feelings. And it's all about chasing pleasure. Now, do, are we living that? Are we living in that? Because I think most of us are in some way struggling with that. Because this is the water that we live in. Right? And Jesus is calling to step out of that, to, to deny yourself, right? To, to look to your external identity, who you are in Christ, and to follow the narrow path. That's what he's calling us to do. And he's saying that if, if we're not willing to do that, if we're just, we're just going to run with the stream at, at all times, then, then maybe just maybe what you confess back here and what you believe happened did not happen. Do you see how there's a a nuance to this that, that it's not so much of picking one sin and saying, well, that don't control me, so I'm good. No, what, what about this, just this whole idea that I'll live this way 
As, as the world and our culture defines it, this is the way we should live. When Jesus has called us out of that and say, you live this way. That's, that's the hard one. And, and I think this is what John is trying to get at here. That he's called us into the narrow path to live. Are we living that way? And it's, and it's a life of love, loving others. It's, it's, a, it's a life of sacrifice. So, if sin is the personal enemy, number one, then Satan is public enemy, number one, right? And that is what John will deal with in the back half of this passage. So let me read verses 7 through 10, and we'll continue. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Again, he's, he's going after the same idea. Do you practice righteousness? And so many times we'll pick something like reading the Bible or praying, which are good things and they are righteous things, right? But, and we'll pick those things and say, well, I'm doing that, so I'm living a righteous life. Well, yes, in a way, but are you loving? Are you, are you doing the rest of the things? Are you, are, you, are you striving to obey what Christ has done? Have we left this world behind, I guess is, is what I'm trying to dig in and, and try to get you to see. Have we left this world behind? And are we following the narrow path? That Jesus has called us to. He goes on to say, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes it a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has born of God, he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Again, he warns the spiritual children about false teachers who are promoting the lie that one can be born of God, born again, and still practice a lifestyle of sin. Either because they wrongly believe they are sinless or that assurance allows them to live how they want. You know, I have assurance of salvation, so I'll go live however I want. And John's trying to raise the flag and say, don't be deceived. This is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, come and follow me, which is come and die to self and live as I have designed it. And and oh, by the way, there's greater joy over here. There's so much greater joy over here. And behind these false teachers is the father of lies. That's what he's showing us. It's the devil. Clearly, John has made the connection of the serpent that Karen read about in the garden for Genesis 3 with his very real person, the devil, or Satan. John tells those he cares about not to be deceived, that which is Satan's main weapon. This is his main weapon that he uses is, is he gives us enough of God's truth, because all truth is God's truth, right? Because he's the one that created everything and made everything. So all truth is his truth, but how you use that truth determines where you'll end up. So Satan comes along and he uses just so much of the truth to to snag us and pull us away from what Christ is is telling us to do and and giving us in his word to do. That's his number one tactic. It's lies, it's deception. John tells those he cares about not to be deceived, which is Satan's, again, main weapon. I mean, think about it. This is what happened in the garden. What was the garden lie? 
I don't, we, we just relive this over and over and over again. And, and it doesn't matter what year you live in or what century you live in. The, the lie has a little bit different nuances, but it's all the same lie. And we bite it hook, line, and sinker many, many times. I'm just as guilty as everyone else. But what was the garden lie? It was about Satan telling Adam and Eve that God did not have their joy as his goal. God did not have their best interest in mind. He tempted them by saying, man, you can be like God. That's a greater joy. That is a greater desire to be like God. There's more to it. He's holding back from you, right? He's, he's holding back from you. This is the lie that was said in the garden. That everything God said, everything God designed, stop and think about the, the beginning of creation. We look at this, this wonderful place that God created for his, his prized possession, the, the Garden of Eden. We see that and we, we start arguing about how our world was created, but we don't see the love and care he took to create this place for Adam and Eve. And then he gave them what? Something to do. He said, okay, I've created you. This is who you are. You're my children. Now go and do who you are. And he gave Adam some things to do. He gave Eve some things to do. And, and then the serpent came along and said, you know what? These things that he's given you to do, that's just to prevent you, right? That the, the tree looks so much better. The lie, God's holding back from you. He doesn't have your joy in place. Everything God designed, everything God made for Adam and Eve to flourish in human being was just a way to keep them from gaining real joy was the lie. What was the false joy Satan dangled in front of them? You can be like God. You take control of it all. You be in control of it all. You make it happen. Right? That's, that's what he, he dangled in front of them. There is greater joy in being your own God. And I think most of us sitting here, if we're just honest, this is simply not true. We've tried that. We've gone down that path before. We've had that path crash and burn on us because we're playing our own God and we think we're in control of everything. And then something comes along, God trying in his loving way, show us that we're not in control of anything. It doesn't work for us, does it? I think we know that. It's like we know that with our head, but it, it just, it's, it's hard to get into our desires. It's hard to get into our heart. It's a process that the Spirit and the Word and the church all bring about in time. Right? We, we have much practice in being our own gods. This is why John starts with, let no one deceive you. Not, not these false teachers, Right, that he called Antichrist, that they have the same idea that the devil does is trying to pull his children away from their father, right? This is why John starts with don't deceive you. Our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from their captivity of lies and liberate them with the weapon of truth. And what is the weapon of truth? It's the sword of the spirit. It is the word of God. One of Jesus' most famous teachings is this. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is found within a larger argument Jesus was making to the Jews as he properly identified their slavery to sin in John 8. Let's just walk through that passage, the one I read earlier this morning. 
In verse 31, he says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So in other words, he's saying the same thing that John is saying. Right? He's saying, if you abide in me, if, you, if my word is in you and you're following what my word says, then you are my disciple. That's what Jesus is saying. This is exactly what John is saying. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So now what, what the Jews did as, as they listened to this, they picked up on the word free and responded this way. It's like they didn't hear that the truth will set them free. They just picked up the word free and then it's like, well, and then they raise up and, and they're going to defend their position. They're going to defend their position. And they said, answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I guess these same Jews have never read Exodus, right? I'm pretty sure they were enslaved. Pretty sure that they were in in Egypt enslaved, right? Jesus continues. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. So he's, Jesus is differentiating people. He's saying you're either of the devil or you're of God. You were, your Father is of the devil or your Father is, is God the Father in heaven. He's, and, and John is doing the same thing. Jesus is building his argument. If you abide in me, you are my disciple. Your father is my father because I am the son and you are free. If you practice sin, you are a slave and you have a different father. This is his argument. This is John's argument also. Verse 39 says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So what did Abraham do? Galatians 3, 6 tells us Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed the word of God. He believed what the word of God said, that this, all these things will happen. And Jesus is coming along and saying, if you abide in my word, He's saying the same thing. If by faith you believe the word of God, if you believe that that this is what I have done, this is who you are, and this is where you're going, if you believe that, then you will be free. But the thing is, is we don't believe it. All of us have unbelief. Every single one of us. We have unbelief in this area, we have unbelief in that area. We all struggle with that. We have unbelief because, because if we truly believed, then we would not sin, but we know that we do sin. John has already told us that, that all of us sin. So it's this battle of identifying and seeing, having our brothers and sisters come alongside us and say, look, here's, let me speak some truth and love to you. Maybe this area of your life, you're not believing what the Word of God says about who you are. Or maybe you're not believing what the Word of God says is, if you do things this way, it'll work better for you. You'll have greater joy. This is how I designed it. See the argument that they're, they're presenting here? He goes on to, uh, in verse 41, you were doing the work your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. 
I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character. He is a liar and the father of lies. Brother and sister, you have the truth before you. Written down, does his word have a place in you? Does his word have a place in you? Or do you desire to get more and more of it inside of you so that you can see what God is saying that we are to to be who we are and, and what we are to do and how we are to love? If not, then maybe what Jesus said is true, that you still belong to your father, the devil. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. John words it a bit different in verse 8, but he's saying the same thing. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I really like how the Amplified Bible brings this out well. It says this, The one who practices sin, and they define it this way, separating himself from God and offending him by acts of disobedience, indifference, or rebellion. So there's the three things. There's the indifference factor that if we just live, right, how the world in many ways teaches us to live, that's living indifferent to what the Word of God says. It might not be straight-out rebellion, Right? That's part of it. But we're just living a life of indifference. Like, okay, I, Lord, I know what the Word of God says, but I really like doing this better. It's rebellion and indifference at the same time. So, offering him by acts of disobedience, indifference, or rebellion is of the devil and takes, and then they're going to expand that, and takes his inner character and moral values from him, not God. That means that's what they're saying that is of the devil means. And takes his inner character and moral values from him, not God. For the devil has sinned and violated God's law from the beginning. A hard truth. Again, he's just trying to wake us up and show us that, hey, maybe, just maybe, if there's no concern for his word, if there's no desire to be in his word, if the word has no place in me, then maybe what we believe that happened at this point in time in our life really didn't happen. But the good news is Jesus came to take away the works of the devil and Jesus came to, sa- to save people and maybe today is your day of salvation. The person who sins belongs to the devil's side or draws his inspiration from him. Maybe using the same words will help us see what John is saying. You are either abiding in Christ or you're abiding in the devil. You're either abiding in Christ or abiding in the devil. There's just, there's, we can't love the world. John's already said this, right? We, we can't kind of live with, with one foot in the world and, and then one foot into calling ourselves Christians and, and I'll be a Christian and I'll only be a Christian whenever it benefits me, but the rest of the time I'm going to live this way. It, it, it just doesn't, it's not real. And it's not that I, I, I enjoy saying these hard truths. It, it's because I care enough and John cares enough and God cares enough to declare to maybe if this is you that it'll rattle you and God will change you and your heart will be changed and things will change for you and you'll become a child of God. This is the, the warning. He's, it's, do not let anyone deceive you. 
Man cannot be neutral. They must belong to one side or the other. John is doing his best to make it absolutely clear that persons who fails to do righteousness does not belong to God, but to God's enemy. But the good news is Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil. We need to see how he has done this. We need to be able to see this. See it with, with not only our eyes and our brains, but our, see it so that it gets in our heart and we actually believe it. And then we trust in it and we rely upon it. First, in the incarnation of Christ, because he was born of the seed of the Spirit, he did not have Adam's sin nature, which broke the lineage of Satan's handiwork in the garden. So when Christ, in his incarnation, when he became human being, right, the seed came from the, the Holy Spirit. It didn't come from sinful man. So therefore, Jesus was without sin because he had no sin nature. He was without sin Second, Jesus exhibited authority over evil spirits while on earth, right? Freeing the captives. He, he freed us and he freed those that were around. Remember that he came up upon um, someone that, that had a legion of devils in them and, and they begged him, you know, son of God, please send us into the pigs. And he sent them into the pigs by just a, a word of command. And just like whenever he commanded everything to, to be made, he commanded those evil spirits to be put in the pigs and pigs ran off the, the cliff and into the, the sea. So while he was on earth, you can see many different times where he casted out demons and, and he had authority over Satan and his minions. All those that, that he, whenever he came out of heaven as, as far as uh, disobeying and, and rebelling against God, all those that he brought with him. We can see that his authority while he walked on the earth over Satan is how he defeated the works of the devil. Third, his death. Man, God's prized creation, had become an offensive uh, to, God, to God in our rebellion, which God, being a just God, had to enact justice. But Jesus takes our place, and the wrath of God falls on Jesus, that he may reconcile man to his God and heal the separation that man caused. So through his death, he reconciles man and God together. This is how he worked, defeat the works of the devil. Because what happened in the garden is whenever we fell for Satan's lies, God had to put us out of the garden, and we've been separated from him ever since. But Jesus came to destroy that work of the devil. And then something we'll be celebrating two weeks from now, when the Lord rises in his... In, his resurrection, his ascension into glory, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, is coming again in the later days. All these are parts of the manifestation of the Son of God by which the works of the devil shall be destroyed. One day, he's going to finish him. He's going to throw him into the pit of hell. And it'll be done. And finally, by the preaching of his word and the work of his spirit, if the devil's goal is to keep us as many people as possible from the good news of the gospel, then our best method to defeat that is to speak the gospel so people can be changed by the Spirit. It is the Spirit who puts divine energy into the Word of God. As the work of the, of the Word and the work of the Spirit come together in re, rebellious hearts, they are changed, given a new nature and new desires, a soul brought out of darkness, Life ruled by the devil and brought into the light, a life ruled by God is the ultimate destruction of the devil's 
work. It's all those who have been brought out of darkness and brought into the light. That's the ultimate destruction of, of Satan's work. This is why John goes on to say in verse 9, he says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You're born again. You have a new nature. There are a couple of ideas of what the seed could mean. Is it God's word? Is it God's spirit? I think that the seed is best understood within the context is a new nature. You now have a new nature. If you are born again, you are a different person. The things that, that you enjoy now, you find, uh, I don't quite enjoy those things as much. Um, the things that, that caused you to, to, things that were offensive to God that you used to do now are offensive to you and, and you, you can't, you despise them and can't stand that you do them or see others doing them and you, and you want to declare the good news to prevent that and to show them God's love. So one of the distinguishing marks of the Christian is the new birth. The New Bible Dictionary gives us a good explanation of this. This rebirth is a drastic act on a fallen human nature by the Holy Spirit, leading to be a change in a person's whole outlook. He can now be described as a new man who seeks, finds, and follows God in Christ. Because we are given this new nature, we cannot keep on sinning, John says. We have a new nature. Everything about a born-again believer goes against this idea that we can somehow claim to be a Christian and live a life that looks nothing like the way of Jesus, of following that narrow path. He closes this section in a way of summation. Also, he hints to where he's going, and we'll be getting there in a couple weeks. In 3.10, he says this, By this it is evident who are the children of God. So he's going to sum it up. I, I know I've been saying it. I've been trying to hit it from different angles. But he's just going to simply sum it up and, and to show that, that I'm not saying anything different than he's not saying. He, he sums it up right here. By this is the evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So he's going to expand this practice of righteousness by talking about loving your brother. This is what where he's going to go to in verse starting in verse 11. Do we do what is right? Do we love others? The simple marks of God's children. There was a, um, a humanist named Erasmus in his paraphrase on Mark said this, by a carpenter mankind was made and only by that carpenter can mankind be remade. The carpenter from Nazareth, the Son of God, has indeed remade us. He redeemed us by his blood, regenerated by the Spirit, reconciled with the Father, and ready for service. What a joy it is to be a child of God. What a blessing to have been saved and set free from the shackles of sin and the tyranny of Satan. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. And thank you that we know that you will come again. That you have defeated sin and you have taken the works of the devil. Thank you so much, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, again, it's, it's tough truths. 
But Lord, we just ask that your, your spirit would work in our hearts to show us. To show us maybe where, where we've been straddling the fence if we're here today. And where we need to go to your word and, and go to prayer. Seek out accountability and help from our brothers and sisters in Christ to, to get on that narrow path. And Lord, if there's anyone from the sound of my voice, Lord, that, that did hear what Christ has done, he has defeated the works of the devil through his incarnation, through his perfect life, through the death on the cross, through his resurrection, and Lord, through us and the word and the Holy Spirit speaking the truth to others so they may be set free. Lord, if there's anyone here or anyone he- listening online, Lord, I pray for them. I pray that you would change their hearts, that you would cause them to be born again so they can respond as Abraham did in faith and trust in what you have done, that they will believe in you and trust in you. And that believing and trusting will will be revealed by getting on the narrow path, by striving towards holiness, by living righteously as John has called us to do. Lord, I pray that you would help us in this. Lord, we, we are so grateful that we can be called your children. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.